Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we're releasing this episode here today in the middle of Advent. And I think that in general, people don't really get the same understanding, or maybe it's just me, of what Advent is. Because in my mind, I kind of lump it into the same category as Lent. Um, but there's obviously so much different about it. Um, obviously, Lent's preparing for the passion and death of Christ, then ultimately Easter. And Advent is the opposite of death. It's preparing for for the birth of Christ. And then also Advent being the beginning of the calendar year of the church. And we have a big difference between the month of November and the month of December in terms of the readings. Uh, most of the November stuff is about the end of the world and and uh, stuff like that. And as we get in December, it's all about the beginning, the beginning of the Gospels rather than the second half of them as we're getting in November. So I, I basically wanted to spend time to to talk about the importance of Advent and and to just spend some time to, to put some energy into why we do it, why we spend extra time preparing, essentially. Yeah, thanks, Joe. It's a, it's a great topic. And maybe it's worth recognizing even, even the fact that we have a liturgical year is an, an interesting reality. It quickly becomes the kind of thing as Catholics that we can't imagine being without I think back on when I was in high school, I was, as we've talked about in some previous podcasts, raised with no religious practice. And so when I was in high school, I had essentially never gone to church. We would periodically go to some kind of Christmas Eve service that was a little bit uh, spotty because we never belonged to a church and it wasn't even clear why we were going. But for whatever reason, my parents one year or another decided that would be a good idea. So my brother and I sort of tolerated this inconvenience to our Christmas Eve, and we made our way through that, but primarily had no sense of uh, a liturgical cycle. Again, Christmas, because it's become so commercialized, so popularized, there was some recognition, and we had break from school. So really, we had a, an academic cycle that happened to correspond with something with Christmas emerging in the middle of it. And of course, Christmas, even in the popular sense, we because we had a Christmas tree and things like that. We didn't know what that was for, what that was about, but you did the tree, you did the presents, you did the decorating, you did the lights, you did all the stuff. And I didn't even really understand who Jesus was and <laughs> anything along those lines. So just to, uh, to say, you know, there are ways that our faith has gotten pressed into our culture. Now, the culture has pressed back against that to quite a significant degree so that we have found ways for secularized people like I was to enjoy the season of uh, light up season and light up night and, uh, you know, all of these different kinds of uh, sparkle season. And, you know, we've we've named these things to, to take Christmas out of it. Yeah. Uh, as we've become more secularized. But anyway, the, the point being, I was in high school so disconnected from any kind of liturgical cycle that I was, we had a spring break trip. I went with some of my classmates to a little German tour, and we ended up just taking a day trip into Budapest. Uh, we went 
through Germany and then into Austria, were in Vienna and then made a little day trip to Budapest. And I was sort of surprised that everything was closed. I said, why is everything closed? And my teacher said, well, probably because it's Easter Sunday. Like I just had no idea that it was Easter or even any idea what Easter was, to be quite honest. So I, I, say, I give uh, some of that preface to say I've grown into a liturgical cycle. In fact, so much at this point that even though that was my experience, I mean, I lived through that. It's, it's hard to even connect with that level of ignorance, uh, that level of disconnection from the, the movement of the church through the year. So it's very interesting how much we can really soak in and how beautiful it is to soak in the, the movement of the liturgical cycles. And then to say how valuable this is for our humanity, we really, it's, some people are extremely tuned in to the movement of time and anniversaries are things not just that they remind themselves of, but that they feel deeply. I, I know cases where people didn't even actually remember what the anniversary was, but would experience maybe some intense uh, sadness on a particular day of the year. And only years later found out that that was the day when they were one, that you know there was some terrible accident that they didn't even have any positive recollection or had even heard anybody talk about. We actually internalize an, an annual cycle, monthly cycles. So grieving practices around the world center around certain days. The, the day that somebody dies is significant. Uh, a week later is significant. A month later is significant. Uh, you know, and then sometimes some, some variations of that. But we, we experience things in time. Our, our bodies live in time. We grow in time. And so the importance of time to our humanity is, is undeniable. And so every, everything that's formed a culture, whether it's a business culture or a national culture or a television culture or a, you know, any, anywhere that there's been the formation of a culture, there's been a sensitivity to time and how this changes and develops and repeats over time. So those things are just kind of fundamental to our humanity. And so it makes sense that our uh, Catholic faith would also be sensitive to that and, and arrange itself across time in certain ways. So the fact that we have a liturgical cycle I would say is uh, is obvious to any anthropologist or sociologist. Anybody who studies humanity would say, oh, of course, you need to have some kind of annual cycle of changes around things. So then, now all of these things developed organically, but from our position, if we were to think back on, well, why, why celebrate the things that we celebrate? Uh, why arrange the year in the way that we've arranged the year? And you already mentioned, of course, the singular event of salvation history is the death and resurrection of Christ. So that's going to be a big deal. Uh, we need to have some recognition of that and some way to enter into that. And uh, then a, a period of preparation, like, wow, you can't just stumble on, on Easter Sunday, you know, like, oh gosh, it's, uh, oh, it's Easter Sunday this week. Oh, I forgot, you know, that it's, uh, that, that was happening this week. <laughs> 
which I experience personally. But anyway, it's a, that's a very disorienting thing. When we recognize the magnitude of Easter, we say, well, oh, naturally, we, we need to prepare for this. And then furthermore, the fact that we were bringing people into and still are bringing people into the church at Easter, we give them this kind of intense preparation of 40 days for Lent. And then the whole church started to go through Lent together with those catechumens, those uh, persons preparing for baptism and Holy Communion and Confirmation. And so the whole church started doing this period of preparation. And it's really helpful to have this annual renewal of what is most important to us, which is the fact that we have new life in Christ because of the way that God has loved us and sent his only son to die for our sake. So that that should be the singular hinge of the year makes complete sense. And that's been the case from the beginning of the church. From the very beginning, there was uh, Easter. And in part, it flowed naturally from the Jewish feast of Passover. And so they always are, are coming at the same time. The Easter feast was already um, built into the Jewish annual cycle of prayer and, and uh, reflection on the law and the mysteries of, of, of our salvation. So, but then this, this other uh, development took place that, well, you know, Jesus didn't start in his public ministry. He, he obviously was born because he was truly human. So he went through everything that we go through. He, he had a real humanity. And so he was conceived and he was carried in the womb and he was born and he had some childhood. You know, we don't have a lot of detail about that, but we have all those things. And of course, we wouldn't have his death if we didn't have his birth. And like, that's a big deal. Certainly the death and resurrection is the turning point of history, but that really began, and some might say it was almost a necessary conclusion of the incarnation. The fact that God entered into the world to begin with was actually the turning point because when pure goodness, when divinity enters into a world that's marked by sin, it's going to it's going to end badly. And so we could almost say that the passion was a consequence. Now you can't precisely say that, but uh, certainly the the passion wouldn't exist without the birth. And so, wow, that that's really the big deal. That's really a turning point in history. And in fact, that's where we mark our calendars. We are in the year 2019, uh, Anno Domini, of uh, the year of the Lord. So zero is the year that Christ was born. We've actually set our entire history in relationship to the birth of Christ. And so, wow, well, we should really mark that again, is a big deal. That's a big deal. And, you know, we should have some time of preparation for that to really think about what that means. We we don't just like, when you wake up Sunday and go, oh gosh, today's Christmas. Um, I got to get my head in into this space of like, well, you know, how did life change and history change? No, we need, we need a little bit of preparation. Our bodies need to adjust to some of these ideas. And then, you know, if you were going to put that in a particular time, of the year, certainly in the Northern Hemisphere, kind of makes sense that like, as things are getting darker, um, now maybe that would be a good time for, for Lent, but anyway, God did his own arrangement for Lent uh, according to the Passover cycle of the Jews. And so that got planted in the springtime, but you know, the things kind of coming alive, we're really focusing on the coming alive in Easter. But but in, in Advent and going into Christmas, we're really focusing on how dark the world got because of sin. 
and things were getting darker and darker and darker because sin was was influencing was infecting more and more relationships the what began in a beautiful way as god sort of renewed the whole world in noah well that started to decline and then god renewed the whole world again in abraham and his 12 sons and then slowly that began to decline into slavery and oppression and then god renewed the world again through moses and then took them through the desert, the promised land, and that began to decline. And the uh, the, the nations, the Israel split, and we have this whole history. And so it was just getting darker and darker as, as we're coming to the time of the birth of Christ. And it's good for us to experience that and to realize that as life gets darker, that's not a sign that the end is nearer so much as that's the sign of God's intervention, and God can bring light into the darkness. And so we can take that at a personal level and say, well, where are the areas of darkness in my life? Where has my life gotten darker and darker? And then, in fact, I can expect that God is going to break into this. The light entered into the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And so that's really this process of Advent is we're we're getting in touch with the in fact, with an ending of things, and we we do this weird thing. You said that the December readings are different than the November readings. That's actually not quite true. The first reading for Advent is always the end times. We're always looking at the end times. So that was the first Sunday, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago by the time that this is broadcasting. The second Sunday is then about John the Baptist. And so now we're going back to the beginning and we're anticipating but the, the first Sunday is anticipating the end of the world. That's really, we could say, the, well, it's the second coming. Advent means coming. That's what the word means in, in Latin, so, uh, or, or arrival. And Advent, the, uh, we're anticipating the second coming by remembering the first coming. And then that's the, the rest of the Advent season until we actually have the celebration of the first coming, which is at Christmas. And so it's really an opportunity to get in touch with our sinfulness, to get in touch with our darkness, the darkness in the world around us, and to allow the light of promise, the light of expectation, the light of God's faithfulness to enter into that darkness. And... Uh, so we can do that in some different ways. Uh, a lot of people will say that Lent is not quite the right tone, um, although Advent has been known as the little Lent at different times in history, because there is a kind of, when we, when we deprive ourselves of things, it increases our expectation. And Advent is especially a season of expectation. That's the coming part of it. Uh, it's a different kind of expectation than Lent because in Lent, everything is kind of peachy. We have Jesus, and then suddenly everything comes to a crashing halt with, the, with Good Friday, and then we're left in this plunged in this darkness for a day on Holy Saturday, and then suddenly the emergence of something we never dreamed of. But in, in Advent, we have a different kind of expectation because we can think of Mary being pregnant, and so we don't know what he looks like. There is an excitement. There is an anticipation. We don't know what it means. What does it mean that the light enters into the darkness? What does it mean that the Messiah comes to us? What does that mean for our lives, for our world? There's a, there's a lot of uncertainty, but, but there's a kind of confidence. It's coming. You know, he's coming. It's, it's, it won't be long now. Uh, 
And that's the kind of hope that we try to breathe into these different areas of our life that can become quite dark and quite difficult and, and feel quite hopeless. So just a few uh, ideas about the, the meaning of Advent and some ways we can enter into the season. Like you said, we can deprive ourselves a little bit of some food, of some good things. Sometimes it's nice to, you know, don't put seasoning on your food and, and then allow the, the, the flavor, the blander flavors to emerge and then have some seasoning for Christmas or whatever. You know, there's some little ways to augment uh, those kinds of things, maybe turn off social media for a little bit more and, and uh, or, or other good things that, that are good in our life, but we can let go of and we can sort of rediscover, uh, look forward to. And, and a lot of times people have Christmas celebrations and Christmas travel, seeing family. There are a lot of beautiful things that we look forward to in Christmas. And that's a kind of a good setting for our hearts in the Advent season. So going off of that, it, it, setting the, the contrast between the Advent and Lent, and I like the way that, that you described it, because I, I really hadn't thought of it like that, that this is constantly building up to to a child that you don't know. So so in that regards of, of a pregnancy, I, I like that analogy, because obviously the first one was a pregnancy. Um, so so that, that certainly makes sense there. And... In one regards, this might be a way that that the secular world augments and and actually helps out the fact that you're looking to build towards something, because there is a natural excitement that happens with any child for waking up for Christmas and ripping open all of their presents, and, and to kind of see that that goes naturally together is is an interesting thought that I really hadn't made before. And likewise, with your comment about how not only are we preparing for Christ as he was born the first go around, but this is also a preparation for his second coming. And it made made more sense because I believe it was last Sunday or maybe the one before, the gospel was about Jesus telling the parable about how if you knew your house was going to get broken into, you would have been ready. And this being about the second coming, to to have yourself ready for when it happens, and I think that there's a lot of a lot of moving parts in that 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 we just kind of gloss over in in the hysteria of, of the secular part of the world. You know, you have your list that you got to get things for. You have all these moving parts, and as you said in the very beginning that that's kind of society pushing back, pushing us away from the faith is all the buildup of it. And that's why I said I wanted to, to take some time, and I thank you for, for, for giving all that information about why Advent is so important and knowing that there is a, a celebration much more. I mean, I know for me, it's the only time I stay up till midnight to go to Mass um, on the whole year, which is Christmas. And, you know, this is a big part of it. And since Advent is the prelude um, to Christmas, it, it, it kind of makes sense because in general, people get very excited when someone gets born, but obviously very sad when someone dies. So in contrast of Advent to Lent, you know, Advent's preparing for a birth. There's excitement. There's a buzz. And obviously 
society's got that part going where Lent is is preparing for a death. And the reason Advent or reason Easter is so important is because death isn't the end. Um, and that's why Amen. Well, that's why that's the uh the, the crux of the faith. But at, at the end of the day, it can see why society is a lot happier in general during Advent than it is during during Lent. And that, that there's this you know excitement that's coming. And and that's the part that, that I want to kind of conclude on that it's important to still have excitement within your faith. Cause at the end of the day it's a very human and practical faith that isn't a exercise in book activities, but it's real life and something that you can live every day. So on that, Father, I want to give you the, the last word here as we're concluding today's episode and leading us into the rest of the week. Well, let me just uh, point out one thing that you said. It's the one time you get up or you stay up till midnight to go to Mass. And uh, that that developed because the well, it's the, it's the earliest possible moment that we could celebrate Christmas. You know, we've developed this whole kind of vigil mass thing uh, as, as since the Second Vatican Council, the idea that the liturgical day begins a little earlier on solemnities and things like this. But, but previously, it was the earliest moment you could celebrate Christmas. And that's a, an indication of the kind of excitement that we have. You know, and again, you made a great analogy about opening presents and the excitement of children to do that. When do they want to do that? As early as they possibly can. And there's a, a sense of, uh, of, ex- of childlike excitement to celebrate this birth that gets us up or, you know, keeps us up into the middle of the night so that beginning mass at midnight, the first moment of the next of, of December 25th, that we were, we're excited to celebrate the, the birth of Christ. So it's a beautiful tradition and beautiful to see how well that holds together. I mean, a lot of churches are still full for midnight mass and again, people not necessarily always knowing why they're there or why they're still doing it, but nice that there's some, uh, uh, it's, it's holding firm to some degree and, you know, better than the, uh, the midnight sales on Black Friday or Cyber Monday or, uh, you know, those, that makes me, anyway, it's not, it's not evil in itself, but it is driven by a culture which is not leading to joy and fulfillment it's it's leading to self-centeredness and saturation and you know the the culture of capitalism is is so shallow ultimately Um, but the but the culture of the faith is so deep and so beautiful and and being allowing our lives to wrap more around the liturgical cycle than around the commercial cycle for example will do us a tremendous amount of good. So I just want to encourage you and me and our listeners to uh, take take the opportunity to be tuned in to the church's life in this way and really allow ourselves the space to experience that hopeful expectation and, and the joy of Christmas. And on that note, thank you very much, Father, for, for doing these episodes with us and, and continuing to do them. We will be with everyone on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, as those are both Tuesdays where we'll be releasing new episodes. We thank everyone for listening. And if you can please continue to tell people around you about the episodes and about the cast in general, and keep clicking subscribe. It is 
greatly showing the results, and we thank everyone for helping us there. And in fact, now with iTunes, you can send us as a gift, and we're free. So thank you for that, everyone, and we will be uh, with you again next week.